As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome in. This is a brand new Hold That Podcast podcast. It is Groundhog Day, and I am your host, T-Bob Bear, joined by Mr. Brody Miller, Indiana's own Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, man? How you doing this week? What's up? That, welcome to Hold That Podcast, and it is Groundhog Day. I'm sorry, I, did, I didn't memorize what you said well enough. Ah, close, up. close, I, close. A little I thought it pretty well. A little ode to Murray there. I think I'm going to watch Groundhog Day later tonight. I'm very excited. It's uh, the ultimate pandemic movie. It's literally a movie about living every day over and over again. So, like, I watched it in, like, like May and, like, the height of, like, the pandemic really getting to us. And it was a perfect pandemic movie for what it's worth. I guess I never really thought about it in that frame. But you're absolutely right. Uh, do you know how long Bill Murray is supposed to have spent in that time loop? Ooh, it's the same. Qu- I don't. Do you know the answer? Because it's so, the same question I have a lot with um with Palm Springs, which I thought is a brilliant movie, by the way, like legitimately one of my favorite of 2020. And like I've heard people suggest 30 years and I've heard people suggest like five years. So what have you heard on? Uh, so apparently reading up on it, Harold Ramis said 10 years originally, I think later in life, he was kind of like, ah, you know, he learned so much. stuff. It's probably like 40 or 50 years. He does say that he was inspired by some kind of Buddhist philosophy that it takes like 10,000 years for you to transcend. Uh, but I want to say some YouTube, some nerdy YouTube channel doing what nerdy YouTube channels did. Like with all the information the movie presents, it tried to completely math it out. And I want to say it came to like 8.8 years or something. But I'm going to go ahead and just say like the Ramus 50 years is the hold that podcast canon answer. That's the correct answer. Um, that, yeah, that makes more that, that, that makes more sense to me. Uh, but we're not just here to talk about Paxitani Phil. Uh, we're here. Well, it is a bit like Groundhog Day because we're talking new coaching hires. Again, something that we have done quite a bit uh, since we last spoke with you. LSU's added three more members to the staff, at least the main staff. Durante Jones, the defensive coordinator. Andre Carter, D-line coach. And Blake Baker, a linebackers coach. Uh, we are also just about 30 minutes removed from their opening press conferences um, unfortunately I missed the Jones. I got my time screwed up. I did catch Baker and Carter. Um, I, I say we do the show like this. I say first we jump into your thoughts on 
the press conferences, and then we move do the more deep dive on the hires as a whole, and then we'll get into some schedule talk as well as the LSU football schedule has been released. So, uh, Brody, let's start with press conferences, Then Durante Jones. Um, well, actually, oh, hold on now. Now that I'm, now that we're just actually like in here, you know, doing it. Should should we talk about the Jones hire first and then get into your reaction to the press conference? I, I actually feel like that. I think a they'll better... mold together. That's my personal thoughts because okay. I think my answer to the press conference is going to answer it all. Which is, I, well, first, okay. So I think there were there was a huge buzzword we've talked about in this podcast the entire time, right? About about what we kind of heard was the expectation for these hires, the hope for these hires, the focus of them. And that buzzword was presence the whole time, right? And yeah. now we have both met Jake Peets, the new offensive coordinator, and Durante Jones, the new defensive coordinator. And I do not, like we always have to clarify here, I have no idea how good these hires will be, but they absolutely passed that test because Durante, Jake Peets blew that press conference away. And Durante Jones was really, really impressive. And that's everything I've heard about him, that he does have that kind of presence. And he he really kind of owned it. I mean, he was just so smart, had a plan for everything he was saying and very just thought out. And, you know, one thing that's, you know, we asked him about, for example, scheme. And, you know, he talked about players first, scheme second, which is obviously very important because LSU needs to be kind of multiple and modern. But by the way, just to answer you, he he, he did say he's going to be based out of a 4-3 and Ogeron said that, but that's mainly just to get the most out of the D-line talent. But, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I think my, my takeaway on the Jones hire and the press conference and everything is this is a guy who kind of, I mean, I wrote that column about two weeks ago about like what this hire needs to actually be, right? And it's not just about X's nose. It was about hiring somebody that can connect with the roster that is a little younger. A minority would have made it perfect, but you can't force that. And somebody who is just going to actually connect, care about them. And that sounds so corny and obvious, but it's something that was lacking in 2020, lacking on the whole team last season, and is just so important right now in this pandemic. So I think Jones is a home run in that sense, because that's a huge thing of his that he gets a lot of credit for. So, And also, there's another theme I want to touch on, and it's that both these hires, one, you talk about presence. They're both guys who maybe have not been coordinators, who don't have like a ton of experience calling plays or anything like that. But neither of them are like the Joe Brady hotshot new guy hires. They're not that. They're they're guys who were like grinders and journeymen who've been under like Joe. I mean, obviously Pete's has been everywhere, and Jones has been under Marvin Lewis, Mike Zimmer, Dave Aranda, Norm Chow. You know, like uh, there's like a bunch of them. Forget, uh, yeah, Vance Joseph. Like they're guys who have been like actually journeymen who are experienced and kind of have this is their chance to show how good they are. So anyway, that's a long winding answer, but I think that well, I think he he hits what they're looking for. You hit on something at the end there that I think is the key kind of common denominator with both Pete and Jones and one of the reasons why I am choosing to be bullish on these hires again uh you if you listen to the show enough you probably know but uh, kind of view all hires like Schrodinger's hire right you never I mean we spent an entire offseason hyping up Bo Pelini so like anytime a hire is made you can choose whether to engage with the positive or negative that's not to say that some aren't easier sell jobs but um but but one of the main reasons why I like both the Pete's and Durante Jones hires is just that you are giving them their opportunity, uh, their first kind of big, big break. And I think anybody can relate to the fact that when somebody bets on you and somebody takes a bet on you, like you want to make sure that they are rewarded for that faith that they placed in you. So this is not Bo Pelini who had to be dragged out of Youngstown State 
to the tune of $2.6 million or whatever. This is not uh, Scott Linehan, who's been a former NFL head coach, or like passing game coordinator, like, yeah, you know, it kind of is what it is. No, like this is fun. This is the opportunity to, to be a big-time corner making over a million dollars that these coaches have literally been working for their entire lives. And, and, uh, and, and Brody, I've talked about this a lot on my program, so I apologize to anybody who's hearing this again. But when it comes to the Jones hire, um, I love Malcolm Gladwell. I love his podcast, Revisionist History, as well as many of his books. And uh, he had a very interesting episode last season where – um, he describes himself as a nihilist, especially when it comes to hiring, right? And I think in no realm more so than college football is being a hiring nihilist more appropriate. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying I'm like a hiring agnostic, okay? I'm not saying you can just go hire anyone and anyone will be good because anyone can do the job. That is not the case. What I am saying is that I reject that the kind of best practices that we accept actually lead to the best candidates always getting opportunity, right? Uh, I think the $130 million in buyouts that the SEC has spent since 2013 would say that no, a lot of the people who are paid the biggest money to get this right don't get it right at all. It, yep. it just it, it, it's just such a it's such a crapshoot. And so I have no problem if you step outside of those best practices. And that's what LSU uh, did here. I mean, like the best practices that would have probably followed I me, mean, definitely the Freeman hire would have checked all those boxes. Nielsen would have checked a lot of those boxes as well. Durante Jones feels more like he came out of nowhere. But the more digging you do in terms of his resume, who he's learned under, um, the you know, the fact that he's coach secondaries in the NFL for the last five years. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about someone who's at the leading, uh, you know, at the frontier of kind of battling the modern offensive theory. Uh, he's young. He's black. Finally, LSU has a black coordinator. That matters. That's not why you hire him, but that 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 matters. That, that helps these young black men to connect with a coach that they can relate to more. And, and, and so the more you think, about this Durante Jones hire, and I look at his resume, I look at who he comes recommended by, I look at the talent that he's inheriting, and then you hear about that presence, about that personality, and look, for whatever reason, he never got this opportunity before, but my overall point is like, I don't take that to be a slight against him as a coach. I just think that's the reality of this world. The best people do not always get hired. Uh, and the best practices do not always lead to the best hires. And so I like this idea of LSU rewarding two guys that have coached at every level for a long time. They have great resumes. And then now they finally get their best break because if these two guys fail, it will not be, for lack of trying. And I don't know about you. It definitely felt like last year you had a lack of trying. I mean, especially <laughs> on the defensive side. I've never seen anything like that. The reports you hear is like Pelini golfing all the time, leaving the building early. He refused to use the walkthrough room. It just got absurd by the end of that breakup. Like you may have to break up here, but it will not be because they didn't put the effort in. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. No, I think it's a really, really key observation. Yeah, like pizza's a guy who most of his career is based on being like an energetic grinder. That is like his main description. And then you have Geronte Jones who, yeah, I mean, the theme on his is he's just a guy who like, really cares about being absurdly prepared and like and yeah you're on the key point you're getting at which is dead on is that yeah these are guys who are going to be this is their chance so there's it's not Polini on his like fourth like his basically his second nah. retirement stop and like <laughs> yeah. his legacy's finished you know what i mean like his legacy's met and the rest is just kind of like extra for the wikipedia page well these are guys who are for lack of a better analogy making their wikipedia page like they have to succeed yeah. they have to make this because this is their chance so you are not going to have that and also i mean one of our biggest things we i think we've really gotten into on this podcast the last few months and i think you and i really enjoy discussing is hiring practices right and like the concepts of career arcs and like how we think there's rubrics and there isn't a rubric and i mean it's more look at head coaching throughout the past like few decades and who's great because the hotshot rising guy the success rate isn't as obvious as you think i mean tom herman yeah honestly seemed like like the perfect trajectory like everything you'd ever want from a head coaching process like in terms of was the superstar coordinator went to a group of five made that an elite contender like on a smaller school and i was going to the local school like it was a perfect one didn't work out or like i remember seven years ago i feel like the two huge rising star obvious hires were james franklin and charlie strong one bombed miraculously, Charlie Strong. One's been a really successful hire for the most part in James, James Franklin. Or, or like, you know, Ed Ogeron and Dabo Swinney, nothing about that fits a rubric. Yeah. Nothing about that. Yeah. Urban Meyer never called plays and was just like a journeyman head coach, but just was good at his job and went from Bowling Green to Utah. To, you know, like, there's just not a rubric. And I think or Will Muschamp, honestly, is another one where, like, he is – an elite football coach and seemed so perfect and just wasn't. And Jimbo Fisher's the exact same thing. And he was, you know, like there just yeah. isn't. So the one thing you can look at this LSU process and yeah, you can roll your eyes and be like, I'm a little like, I know there's some people that are frustrated that Ed keeps making these hires on like recommendations and he keeps just like hearing from buddies, but it's like, this one wasn't quite that this was he, at least with the DC hire genuinely went through a process yeah, he went for the sexy hire at one yeah. point, but then went through the right processes. Also, Freeman wasn't even the first guy they went for. And like, did the oh, interview really? weren't sold on some of the interviews. Who's, the, who's by the, way. the first guy? I think Andy Avalos from Oregon was the actual first wow. guy. Wow. Okay. But he got a head coach job, Boise State, of course. I think I think there's some that weren't exactly like they didn't go down the path far enough to even be discussed. You know what I mean? They were yeah, more you, like, you get, you yeah, the, they're more like you have to try you have like guys, the search but, firm or somebody kind of, you don't have, you're not directly reaching out because you don't want to, you know, be say that you got told no, but you're, you're having somebody kick the tires for you there. Yeah. And then they're guys, you know, you might not get, but you have to try. Like, you're like, Oh, I might as well try to get the best guy. Um, anyway. So yeah, I think, I think you can't, yeah, there's no direct process, but they went through at least with Dronte Jones the right way. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, yes, he's like technically probably like the 10th guy they talk to, but at the same time, you know, LSU people will, will very adamantly say that he was the first guy Dave Aranda listed 
They there and that like, you know, maybe at first Mike Zimmer wasn't exactly, you know, making it easy for them to talk to him, but then they finally got it later in the process. Like you hear mixed things on that. So don't take that as well. And, and and what I would say is just that I think our overall point is that it doesn't really matter that he's the tenth guy. Like like you shouldn't put stock into that because that has no actual uh, bearing on whether he will be good or not. Good point. Uh, yeah. be, be because of everything that we just said. Uh, and so you end up laying with Jones. I will say this. One thing I like to do, too, is kind of look at, okay, when a guy leaves a place, what's the reaction? And I even stumbled across a couple of uh, like Viking fan blogs that were really bittersweet about him leaving. And, and obviously, you know, those kind of blogs are going to be the most in the weeds, and they're going to pay attention to things like, NFL uh, position coaches, uh, but 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 they 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 were talking about how you know his work with the cornerbacks this year, these rookie corners that got thrown into the mix after a couple of injuries, and the growth therein uh, was absolutely spectacular. And apparently, Mike Zimmer, before any of this LSU stuff ever came up on the radar. Uh, was asked about Durante Jones in his end of the season press conference, and you know, it's super glowing remarks. Say, I think he even said like he'll be an NFL head coach one day. So the place that he left, uh, you know, did not necessarily want to see him go, and feels, uh, you know, you know, they they had very glowing things to say about him, and I, and I always think that's a positive, and it's definitely not something that takes place with every hire that you make. No, I love that, and also. I want to get like, you know, cause I, I wrote a story, I believe it ran what Thursday, last Thursday or Wednesday. That was a, a deep dive into Dronte Jones and his importance and why it was so important that we talked about that, you know, it is a black coordinator, you know, LSU's only had one ever. It was John Mitchell for one season in 1990 and, and Dave Rand is a minority. So we should point that out, but still, but, and know, we're talking offensive we, and defensive coordinators here, right? Because yes. we had, we had TC McCartney or not, excuse me, not TC McCartney coach. Um, Coach Mag, what was his name back then? Why am I playing right now? Anyway, but yes. So often, think about how absurd that is, though. In the sport of football, LSU in its history has had one black coordinator for one season. That is kind of unfathomable. It is. Absolutely. And, and, and again, that's why hiring practices, I reject the notion that they always <laughs> lead to the best guy. Yes. I mean, we, this has been a, a fascinating year for the NFL in the, again, it's not even about like whether or not Eric Bieniemy deserves a job or if he doesn't, because I literally don't know the answer to that. It's just like the goalposts that keep moving and the, the reasons that people use keep changing. And then you got a guy like Nick Sirianni. <laughs> like, so it's just like, all right, you're making stuff up to, to excuse it. Anyway, sorry. Um, but I think the other thing that's going to sell really well for why Durante Jones might work. And I want to again, clarify Dante Jones isn't a sexy hire. I don't know if he's going to be good. Like I, I think with Jake Peets, I actually feel like the I feel like confident the ceiling the the floor is relatively high. Jones, I don't even know. But what I'll say is his strengths actually are fascinating because one thing you know that Harrison Smith told us about and and a lot of guys have talked about is that he's really big on and this is actually a theme in his press conference today understanding communication, how important that is, how to go about it. And Harrison Smith talked about how, you know, for example, with the Vikings this past year, don't judge them by the defense not being great. He inherited, like you said, I believe, a ridiculously young, inexperienced, and I believe also injured cornerback yes. group. Yeah. So, like, that wasn't really about, like, his coaching. But Harrison Smith, a veteran, talked about how, you know, Jones did a really good job of understanding how to – communicate what they know in a simple way, not overload, kind of read what they need to know 
and give it like correctly. And I think that's a really important skill for what LSU needs. One, because we just saw one of the biggest communication and, and knowledge malpractices from the college football <laughs> last season. But but also just, yeah, I think this is a team that really needs someone that that is their strength. And by the way, that's Dave Aranda's strength. Dave Aranda, is one, as much as we know him as like a cerebral nerd, he is one of the best teachers in sports. Yes. And that's, that's what he was great at. And I think that could be something Jones thrives at. And also, yeah, I loved hearing – you know, Marvin Lewis talk and, and Vance Joseph talk about how, you know, he's somebody who, you know, he, Marvin Lewis talked about Marvin Lewis is one. Of the, I mean, as much as you want to make fun of the Marvin Lewis area, he's one of the better hires and his tree is actually pretty great. If you look at it, uh, well, and- Marvin Lewis, too. Uh, let's be clear. I mean, ultimately, his fate, he was uh, cursed by his own success, right? Like he Thank was you. successful to a point. Success eventually becomes a burden. He took the worst franchise in the NFL to like the playoffs sixty percent of the time. Like, yes, that's miraculous. Exactly. Um, and look yeah. at what happened after Marvin Lewis. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. That's, again, resident Bengals fan, just for everyone. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, and Marvin Lewis talked about. He's like, when I'm interviewing somebody, I am looking and play. Read, read our story on the Athletic, please. Um, I'm looking for somebody who can show me in an interview, he knows how to, like, I want to see how you teach a player who doesn't know something, how you teach a rookie, how you teach a freshman, how do you communicate with them? How do you do that? And that was the thing he was blown away with in his interview was just like how he showed how prepared he was and his plan for how he would teach something to somebody. And that is something that also, you know, going through, I think his coaching roots, I wrote this in the story too, is a really interesting part of it is that, I like, you know, because him and Pete's are very different paths, but there's similarities. But the difference is Jones is a guy who came up in the HBCU circuit coaching at Bo- Bowie State in, in Maryland. Well, actually, no, he came up coaching Louisiana high school ball, yeah. Nichols <laughs> State, then a, D- a D.C. for five years and had the best defense in the in the in the league. Uh, Bowie State, which is also a really important part of his resume, then got his break as a UCLA GA. Wait, wait, hold on. Sorry, then- wait, wait, hold on. Before you continue the resume, hold your place. You didn't Please, mention something that you pointed out on Twitter that is the most important part of his tenure at Bowie State. Oh God, yes, <laughs> I found in the in the in the, in the Bowie State 2007 media guy a picture of him with basically what looks to be a very heavy like lock. Yeah, like, like a padlock on a chain. Yeah, padlock. Thank you. And and it, and basically, you know, I, I what I was told was it was their their uh, oh my God the game changing chain, and it was it was very I mean. 15 10 15 years before Miami's turnover chain and that all took over college football turnover chain didn't come in until 2017 now everybody has a turnover prop this was 2007 that Brody found evidence (laughs) of him with a literal turnover chain so So, he's ahead of the curve man I like his ahead of the curve I like his way more because his is a I don't I mean he might be changing it but it was a weekly thing it was like a the person who earned it kept it for a week. Yeah. That's cooler. That's actually more of a pride thing. Cause if you earn that, you're like, I'm wearing this chain all week and I want everyone to know it. So that's like more incentive. I appreciate that more anyway. Uh, yeah. So go on with your resume now. So he's at Bowie state, number one defense. Yeah. Bowie state, then UCLA, then Hawaii. And then, yeah, then he made his way up the bigger circuits. But my point is it's a little more, you know, boots, boots, like, you know, like ground up building of a coach and, yeah. and learning how to coach at the lowest levels and taking that slowly. So it's, you know, it's not just a guy who like, you know, not, this is not a Nick on uh, knock on him, but Andre Carter, you know, he, he went straight, he's NFL player, went straight to the NFL. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of experience and a different kind of like, he went straight to coaching the best. Well, like, I think, I think Jones's background is actually going to be a huge positive in that sense because he has backgrounds in both. 
Yeah, and 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 I mean, when you've literally coached at every single level uh, and, and different environments, like Jones has, I think that it um, it prepares you to deal with just you know a multitude of situations. You become very adaptable all of a sudden. Um, so I I think we're in line with each other. I I feel really actually pretty bullish on it. Again, I don't know if it'll actually be good or bad. Um, and so at these points, you can always just kind of choose what to think. Uh, but I do think on, like, I, I have found enough here that, um, well, look, if nothing else, they went the polar opposite of what they screwed up last time. And yes. I can appreciate a course correction like that. And really they did that with the staff as a whole. Uh, Brody, when you look the five coaches that left average age of 58, the five coaches that have been hired average age of 38. So a, a, a solid two-decade difference there. And uh, we talked to Ojan this morning, and he said, look, man, there's just a different energy in the building right now. It's just completely different than it was last year, and he was kind of attributing it to that youth infusion. Yeah, and it's not that – and we, we always have to clarify this, and I think I say this every show, so I'm sorry. It's not that young is inherently better, but it's also the kind of age you're hiring, right? It's not literally just age. Or, it's that, like, the, the older hires they had were guys that were – sincerely out of the innovation loop for lack yeah. of is that a good way yeah, yeah, like yeah, Bo Cleaney no. was completely out of it Scott Linehan I don't think it's fair to knock him he was still a pretty darn good NFL OC a year ago but you know kind of out of it Bill Johnson definitely out of it you know well, what they, I mean they, they, like, they could have hired were, like Joe Barry and they almost did and I think he's over 50 and I don't think it would have been as good of a hire but like I wouldn't have necessarily considered Joe Barry out of the loop no like, exactly like, he's literally in tight with Brandon Staley he's yes. in the innovation loop yes, yeah exactly innovation loop is a term I just made up and I'm a fan of it it's not it's good <laughs> sharp it has a sharp thing to it um anyway so it's not just that but it's like okay one they're going to connect with players a little better but they're also guys aside from probably just Carter they're guys that are like in it in the right places in their career they're a mix of experience but also up and coming on the coming edge that's exactly what you want Pete's a ridiculously experienced but also worked very closely with Joe Brady the hottest guy or or you know Jones is a guy who's very young and not even you know and pretty experienced but also worked with the best defensive coaches of the past 20 years you know so I think those are things that are really promising there and you know and also there's something to be said for and I, this part doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying it actually matters. It's purely aesthetic, but I'm interested by it. The Jones was not a sexy hire, right? He was, like we said, in the double digits of people they talked to, all that stuff, you know, just a, a safeties coach in Minnesota. But the other two guys they hired on defense were named. So he kind of like at least alleviates yeah. that a little bit. You know what I mean? Where it's like Blake Baker, granted, did not do well at Miami and clearly had lost his power. And, you know, it's not like, you know, he's taken a step down, but still – what is it was a rising star in the profession did really well at Louisiana tech and was a like, you know, an up and comer. He's a big name, put it that way. He's overqualified to be Miami's linebacker. I mean, LSU's linebacker coach to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. And then obviously Andre Carter, not experienced, not a lot that you know of there, but a big name. So there's something to like, you're kind of balancing, you know, that, so I, that doesn't mean anything. Well, I just and, find it and, interesting. And I, Look, something that I've really been trying to root out is because I don't know. Is it official? Did Blake Baker get a co-defensive coordinator title? He was not in his term sheet, so I do not know. Okay, okay. So I don't think that's official. It might have been no, no, yeah. I don't, but no, it didn't say what his title was. It just says assistant, so I don't okay. know. Um, but I mean, everybody I've talked to, right, on the record and off the record has been painfully clear that, no, 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 the buck stops. Like, it is Durante Jones' defense. Uh, and, and Baker gave a great answer on that, by the way. Well, and that's what I was going to say, right? Okay. And, and he said that today too, right? He was like, I am just there to be a sounding board, right? And 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 I can offer up ideas. 
Uh, and, and if I do offer up ideas, it's just coming from a place of, you know, my experience in the college game. And, and, and I think someone like Jones, again, um, kind of a low ego guy coming in here. I, I believe that you have to be a bit low ego to work in these collaborative environments, ideally. Uh, so yeah, I think Baker's DC experience on the college level, um, does become a really valuable resource for Jones to engage with, uh, when he wants to. And then on top of that, so Blake Baker, uh, not only look, he's coming over here to coach linebackers, maybe the position group that needs the most help after whatever yeah. last year was. I mean, I know people talk about safeties. I don't think there was a position group that was more lost last season than were the LSU linebackers. And now you get a guy like Baker, who you said, like, you know, he's been proven to be a good coach on the college level and it becomes really kind of exciting to think like, can he unlock that group a bit, right? Do we see on the field the potential that the coaches obviously saw in Damone Clark last year when yeah. they decided to give him number 18 and they hyped him up so much in the offseason? Does that finally come to fruition now with somebody uh, teaching him uh, in, a, in what we would imagine in a much better way than what he was being taught last year? Yeah, no, I, can I, by the way, can I throw something in there that I don't want to forget? Is that yeah. also... Toronto, you know, a lot. I think a lot of the Corey Raymond like unhappiness stuff is kind of manufactured. Like, I don't think Corey Raymond's like deeply upset. I think every year he. I mean, I think he was upset when Bill when they hired a safeties coach. But I don't think like he's year to year angry. I think I think he leverages things for better pay and wants more respect. You know? Yeah, Would you agree the, with that? He's the highest paid position coach in the country, right, or something like that. Now. I true? think he's the highest paid corner. Like, okay. He might be the highest paid like specific coaches one position. But the tricky thing is like I think DB, guys who are complete DB coaches might make more than him. Mm. I think that's where the tough part is. Either way, yeah, I, I, I've i never heard that like Corey Raymond's camp is particularly unhappy. He seems happy to be like the father of DBU and make really good money. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. I, I was yeah, sorry. Thank you for saying that better than I could. And, <laughs> And but I think it's important though that even if you know for people who do want to spend time on that and like Corey Raymond's mad that he didn't get a DC chance and all that, Durante Jones and him go a very long way back. They came up coaching high school Louisiana football together, and they're both brothers of the Omega Sci Fi fraternity, which absolutely matters. And they have a good relationship. You know, that's one thing Vance Joseph, who obviously is Mickey Joseph's brother, and is very and he's a one of the better you know young black defensive coaches in the NFL. And he talked about one, there's a legitimate DB coach fraternity. Like the DB coaches really come together and they like all really know each other and all that. So that's, uh, I think, um, oh, sorry, there's a big goal in a soccer game on. Um, <laughs> but I think that's a real thing. Then you know, they've known each other for a long time. So those guys, like, that's a, like, they know each other and that, that like, that's going to be a good relationship. And the only reason I bring that up is that. Yes, it's still split up technically cornerbacks and safeties, which I think is more about a they just need to know different things thing. You know, safeties and modern defenses have a lot more responsibilities and all that. So I think it's smart to keep doing that. But now if Jones coaching safeties and being the D.C., there can be kind of a hybrid, though, right? Where like Jones is still probably going to coach the DBs and in, in individual like a random coach linebackers or all that. But you also can probably defer to Raymond sometimes. And yeah. be like, you know, delegate, I should say, and be like, all right, but you got this with the DBs and communication. There's probably going to be a little smoother than it's been in a little while. And I think that's a, a really interesting bonus as well. I, I I think Raymond too will be much happier working under this guy than the last one. It's uh it was probably it had to be such a weird spot last year for all those assistant coaches on defense, especially some of the more long term ones where a guy rolls in and is making like more money than anybody's ever made and is just clearly like failing in front of your face and you're just having to watch it firsthand and be like, oh man, this is not 
going to be pretty. <laughs> like, I mean, I refuse to admit that they were feeling as good about the defense as they were going into the season. Maybe they were. Maybe they were. If they indeed were, then that's more scary than anything because uh, it doesn't seem like there should have been any reason. I know. It's something I've never gotten <laughs> a great answer on, and I really want to one day. It's just like, like, like did, they know, did they know it was a train wreck? You think they did? No, no. I'm asking, like, have you ever – is that what I've never gotten a good answer. I mean, Ogeron, like, is adamant that he's like, no, like, we it looked amazing, and then we were wrong. Like, and it's like, I do buy that sometimes the defense can look great in practice and just isn't. So, like, maybe that's valid. I I really want to know. So, if anyone has any inside information on the LSU defense in August, we're all ears. Yeah, that would be so crazy if they – whatever. That would be a darker sign uh, because if that's the case, like, if they really had no clue it was going to be that bad – then who knows what that says about evaluation as a whole. But uh, but but look, ultimately, that's what's fascinating about these hires, right? That's what rides on these hires. Everything does. Like, if these don't hit and the team doesn't improve and you don't have a significantly better year next year, um, then it could all be over. Uh, it's just kind of the nature of the beast when you're talking about college football. Um, so we, we touched on Baker. Uh, we touched on... Oh, we didn't talk about Andre Carter real quick. Yeah. Um. 13-year NFL vet, seventh overall pick out of Cal, so someone who was incredible on the college level. And I know that people, when you when you, you can't say incredible on the NFL level, um, uh, because you know the, he did make the Pro Bowl once. He has over 80 sacks, but but really to me, it's just like if you if you last in the NFL for 13 years. I don't care if you're a backup that whole time. You are a monster. Because like somebody is coming to take your job every single year. Somebody younger, faster, supposed to be more talented, cheaper. And so if you're still hanging around, um, you're, you're just an absolute beast. And so with the talent that LSU has now in that defensive line and the guys who are trying to make it to the next level, I think that a... Um, an Andre Carter, like he's someone who immediately commands respect because he did on the college level, he did on the NFL level, and he's been in those battles and fights and accomplished the things that these players want to accomplish. Yeah, I don't know I if he's a good thought- coach, but he but he definitely will he definitely will be able to command their respect. No, that's a key point. I think that matters, especially because, quite frankly, the D line coach job at LSU. It's not your normal one. Ed Ogeron is the D-line coach. You are naive if you don't think so. And by the way, he even went further today to talk in really interesting depth, I should say, that like about how he's going to be more involved in the defense this year and coach the D-line a little more than he did last year because I think last year he kind of delegated and then regrets it, and I think there was a little bit of issues there. So yeah. I think that's interesting. But quite, I mean, here's what I'll say. I, I, I don't think LSU was like immediately sold on the Andre Carter interview, um, but I don't think they were. I mean, they didn't love Randall Joyner either. And then Joyner went to Ole Miss, and I think you know there were parts of Andre Carter they really liked. I think they really liked his past stuff and whatnot. weren't too sure about the run stuff, but then they're also like, "Hey, Ogeron coaches this group. Ogeron can handle parts of it." Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a long way of saying. But what matters there is. I don't think this is changing from what it's been. You know, Dennis Johnson was the D-line coach, but Ode led it. Same with Bill Johnson, you know. And But like you're saying, Andre Carter does command a little something extra. So even if you are really the number two D-line coach, that's perfect. You know, you're hiring somebody that at least is going to command ultimate respect from that, you know, job and can be somebody that players actually can go to and trust and whatnot, while Ogeron is still probably the main D-line coach. I don't – so I think Andre Carter is a work in progress, but he's kind of a – you could argue a perfect fit for kind of that. Well, he, he's going to have to learn 
how to teach, which is very important. We've, we, we've yeah. talked a lot about that. And he's already started learning that. He has been the Jets D-line coach for the last couple of years. But, but definitely working with college kids is going to be different than working with NFL kids. I mean, if I just look to my own experiences, um, I remember Ben Wilkerson coming in recently out of the NFL and teaching us, and it was the best offensive line coaching that we ever had. Uh, wow. Now, I think, I think I don't know how he still hasn't got a bigger job in coaching because I thought that he was like fantastic and actually the key behind our improvement. But just the amount of respect and how you would listen to what he was saying because you knew – his resume and what he had done, um, these guys are going to be feeling that as well. And so it's, it's it's an interesting thought that I had to consider that kind of pairing with Ogeron. Ogeron would seem like a good person to fill in where he is weak. So I like the staff as a whole. Like, I like these hires. They, they did. Um, as we said, you, you never want to have any black and white requirements when it comes to hiring because you never want to paint yourself in a corner. But, you know, I don't mind having guidelines or parameters. And just from a philosophical approach, I really liked how they uh, approach this hiring season. And, and now we'll see. We'll see, though. I mean, right? You, you never know these things until they play out. And we'll know when and where they play out, Brody, because we got a 2021 schedule. How about it, dude? <laughs> uh, yes. LSU schedule is released. Yes. I gotta say though, the, like I feel like the unspoken part of this was like I had never heard anything the past like four months about like confirming that there would be non-conference schedules back again, and then they just kind of released it as if it was a normal schedule. I'm like, why is no one making a bigger deal about this? So we're like going to like they're going to the Rose Bowl like that. That's a big deal. Like I I don't know why that wasn't the more spoken about part that's confirmed. Well, you know, non-conference they're, football they're, is back. They're planning on going to the Rose Bowl. We certainly hope so. I think like everybody else. Um, College football is also hoping that by August we will be back to some measure of uh, normalcy in, in, in sports and whatnot. So, yes, LSU will open, as of now, at UCLA uh, in the Rose Bowl. Really just fantastic venue for a lot of like college football fans that you never normally get to see your team play in, especially if you're LSU. But I want to break it down like this, Brody. I like breaking yeah. down the schedule into four quarters, okay? Well, I love it. Look at the quarters. Look at how that plays out from a rhythm standpoint, and then maybe get into projected record. So, first quarter, uh, huge win for LSU at the Rose Bowl, and then home versus McNeese, home versus Central Michigan, and that is right before you dive into SEC play. So, here you have a kind of sexy brand name matchup against a team, though, that's improving, but you're still significantly better than like, like you should handle UCLA. No real, like it's not too risky to engage with them week one, but it does still, it's good enough where it focuses you. And as a player, I think it forces you to be really locked in over the summer and over the spring and over fall camp, because you know, you have to be ready week one, but it's not like you're going out there and playing like a, you know, a, a top five matchup. So it's a great little entry point before then you take a couple of those tune-up games to get you fully ready for SEC play. Yeah, no, I think you put it literally perfectly because I think it's a it's a really balanced it's, it's very similar to last year where you were like, oh, it's a perfect warm-up for a team that kind of needs to figure some stuff out. Because UCLA, like you said, it is still enough to make you be like, wow, I gotta get ready week one, like you said, well. But again, in a vacuum, LSU should be a what, 10-point favorite against UCLA. Yeah. They are 
inherently more talented and should have an advantage there. But like you're saying, it's just good enough to make you lock in. And then, yeah, so you start with that. It's a game you should win. And then you have two more tune-up games. And then also Mississippi State, you should be a double-digit favorite there. And if you lose that, it's a terrible look. So really, I mean, I know we're not that part of the schedule yet, but I'm just saying like it is a legitimate kind of tune-up schedule in the sense that you can find your rhythm going into that gauntlet that October begins. And I think that's really important. Only other thing I'll say about UCLA, though, I do think it's sneaky. I mean, I, I, like you said, I think LSU is going to get up for it for a ton of reasons, but it's sneaky because no one thinks of UCLA as any good, but they showed, like you said, showed a lot of progress at, like last year under Chip Kelly and looked like, they, I mean, they almost beat Oregon. I think they won two pretty big games and showed a lot of progress. And the other scary thing there is, so they're trending upward and, you know, my, you know, my favorite metric is Bill Connolly's returning production yeah, standings that yeah. come out every year. And and just for those who don't hear this all the time, they're just a really great metric because they're not just like who's got players coming back, who's got X amount of snaps. It's a very, very well thought out thing that weighs like how historically O-line, you know, returning production helps the team, you know, receiver passing, like each group is weighted differently. And it's just a really smart metric. Anyway, UCLA is number two in the entire country in returning oh, production. Wow. So when you combine them clearly on the upward with that returning production and Chip Kelly in what year three, I believe, that's just really interesting. I still think LSU should be heavily favored, but that game could be sneaky. So I think that's a fun thing to, to watch. And also while we're on the topic, LSU ranks really well there. They're 30th in the country, which is very good, especially this year, considering with the pandemic, everyone's bringing a lot back. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of the eligible. So being 30th is actually really impressive. And they're number two in the SEC overall, only behind Ole Miss. So LSU, in theory, is really in good position in, in that in that metric, which I think is important. Okay, so first quarter then. Um, and yeah, look, after last year and how the season started, there's no excuse to be asleep at the wheel for UCLA. Like, you, you know no. how quickly your season can get demolished. Uh Okay, so you should start 3-0 there. Then you get into the second quarter. SEC play begins at Mississippi State, then at home versus Auburn, then at Kentucky. Um, are you comfortable saying LSU should win Mississippi State and Kentucky? And then, I mean, I guess for now, I'll put Auburn as one of those 50-50 games, although the current stat, uh, the current state of Auburn I mean, I don't know. I I don't know what the current state of Auburn is. You know Auburn better than I do. What do you think with the coaching changes and everything else? Yeah, this is where the schedule gets really fascinating, though, is because, and this is why I think this is such a good schedule for LSU, is because, first off, I think the odd years are always the better years for LSU because Bam is on the road, but that's already an uphill battle. So it's like, I, I know you're not supposed to think like this, but like, let's just say for the sake of conversation, you're assuming Bam is a loss anyway. That being on the road's a good thing. You're not wasting a home game and your home games on these seasons are Auburn, Florida, A&M, all those. So it's like, your actual toss up games are home, which is yeah, huge. A good point. And, and then you're and then this year, like you're saying, all of the normal, you know, the big four I always like, we always like to say is, you know, Bama, Auburn, Florida, AM. AM should be really good, and we'll get to them later. But Auburn and Florida are both in very weird transition spots. And that's not to say they won't be good. They're unpredictable teams. They're always uber talented. They could be great. I think Harson's a great coach, by the way. But they're in transition, right? Auburn just lost a lot of talent. O line, I think, will probably take a step back. Uh, you know, I, I'm always interested in Bo Nix, but I think I'm finally selling that stock. It was sad. It was a tough day. I was really in on it. You got to hold years. it. Diamond hand, Brody. You got to stick it to the hedge send, fund guys. Send Bo Nix to the moon. Hold that uh, Nix stock. Nah, I think it's, I think I'm ready to sell it, but I think Harson's really good. So I wouldn't be shocked if he just gets the most out of him, but I'll accept the loss on that one, even if he does play well. Uh, so it's like 
those are more winnable than your average year because you know I love Dan Mullen and I think he's probably going to do well, but they're just losing so much of their core. You don't know what they are. So you kind of look at that and it's like at home, you should win all four of uh, all three of that next quarter you're talking about. I mean, I know we're not at Florida yet. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you should win those three. Kentucky's always going to be just kind of a pain in the ass, right? I mean, Mark Stoops is one of the best coaches in college football. I got a lot of flack in our SEC survey we did because I ranked him the number two coach in the SEC right behind Saban, but I kind of stand by that, what he's done there, and the fact that they're just always deep and well-coached. So that's a tough road because you are better than them, but they're not going to give you anything. That's what they are. They're a team that's just going to make you earn everything. So anyway, that's a tough slate, and it's tricky, but you are inherently more talented. So this is where we'll actually see what the growth was, right? This is the test. Yeah. The first three games are about finding your rhythm. This is where you see, has that Ojean really developed that stuff? Has Pete's and, and Jones actually, you know, are they as good as we you know think they could be? Because this is where you'll see, do you not fall into trap games? Can you get up and beat teams you're better than? This is where it's really going to get interesting. But to a long-winded way, they actually should be 6-0 and going into the third quarter. Yeah, and and I mean at worst five and one, but no, I'm with you. Six and zero needs to be the goal there. Um, yes, and and you're gonna have a lot of hype then, and then you enter Brody. What is the crescendo? Uh, the most challenging part of this schedule: the third quarter. Florida at Ole Miss at Alabama. Um, pretty wild. I mean, imagine being Durante Jones and you take this job and you look at the schedule and those are your three back-to-back-to-back games. You got Dan (laughs) Mullen and Elaine Kiffin into uh, the Alabama offense. That is pretty brutal uh, in terms of being an offensive coach. Great challenge. Comes with great opportunity, though. As you said, Florida's going to be in a weird spot. May have a Rick Gilbert. May not. I don't know what the eligibility is going to be there. Um, what's their quarterback situation like? We'll know more, but at least you got Florida at home. If crowds are back, I think that becomes a big advantage. Uh, I, well, before we get to Ole Miss, do you have anything that you want to say on Florida? I mean, I think the environment's going to be fantastic. Just how last year went. The signs will be fantastic. It'll be all about like shoes and whatnot. Uh, if indeed Eric Gilbert is playing, that adds a little extra spice. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Florida game? No, I think we've both kind of reiterated the main thing, which is that, yeah, LSU, in terms of known commodities, also in terms of recruiting talent, by the way, because Mullen hasn't always been, you know, the best recruiter, LSU's better. Like, they should be better. It's just, and again, so much of this depends on what happens those first six games, but if we're going off the notion that we think they got their in good rhythm, there's, let's say they're 5-1 and one or 6-0, and oh, that means they're clearly pretty good, then yeah, LSU should win that game at home. And I, Dan Mullen is a wizard. I always say that he's my, he's my f- my favorite coach in the SEC in a sort kind of half sarcastic way. So you never know with that. But yeah, I think LSU should be you know a touchdown favorite in that game and win that game. And then you get the Ole Miss, which yeah, that is uh, they're Ole the Miss hardest is fascinating team. me because here here's my question to you, Brody is yeah. what will we be thinking is the long-term trajectory out of Ole Miss by this point, right? Because I didn't necessarily buy that they were going to get an immediate bump even last year, and I was dead wrong there. They definitely got that immediate bump. So the question is, like, when LSU goes to Oxford next year, if there are crowds and everything, 
are they going to be stepping into a completely rejuvenated school and fan base? Like, is this going to be some super fun environment where Ole Miss feels like they're legitimately good and can legitimately compete for the West? Uh, the potential for this to actually be a premier college football game once again is is right there. My answer is yes, first off. I mean, they're the most fun team now in college football because they're the hardest team to handicap because it's like in a granular level – no, Ole Miss is much worse than a lot of teams they play in the SEC. They are. What we learned last year between everything Lane Kiffin's so good at, Matt Corral, everything he's so good at and also bad at, which makes him my most fun. I put him as also like my fun Heisman pick because if he plays like he can, he can absolutely win a Heisman, but he also might throw six picks, you know. But uh, they're they're a team that's so hard to handicap because it's not about how good they are. They know how to just make chaos happen. Their offense is so high-powered. They, they kind of embarrass IU to be honest, which IU is much better than Ole Miss, you know? So it's like they can just make havoc any night. So yes, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere if fans are back in the stands. And yeah, I think that's a game where like, that's what makes this this third quarter so tough is that that should be your your little bit of a tune-up game between Florida and, and Alabama, right? But it's not because you cannot sleep for a second at the wheel yeah. of Ole Miss because of their tempo, because of how good Lane Kiffin is and Corral is, and usually the weapons they have. Jerry Ely. That game is just like LSU. Again, it's almost like I said about Florida. LSU is better. They should win that football game. But it's just so kind of scary. And it's like I could easily see Ole Miss winning by 14 just as much as I could see LSU winning by 21. Yeah. And and and, and what I just love thinking about is like by the time we actually get there, which of these feelings will be like justified and even amplified? And which of these feelings are like, oh man, no, Ole Miss went back to me. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, Alabama. And by the way, also, Ole Miss might be two and four, and I still am going to be just as scared. You know what I mean? It's okay, not even about yeah. like what I've seen from them that season. It doesn't matter. They're volatile. They can be four and two or two and four. Yeah. They, there's a lot of variables, uh, a lot of variability there in how they perform. Um, at Alabama, um, you know, not much to say here. Uh, Alabama will have a fresh crop of five stars, uh, will likely be ranked number one in the country. Um, I'm sure we'll all be singing Bill O'Brien's praises at this point, uh, about how like awesome of an offensive coordinator is like, it's not infinitely easier to have success as a coach when literally every one of your players are just better than the other players. Uh, I mean, Alabama has Doug Marone as their line coach. So, you know, it is what it is. And also, I mean, I hate to like upset everybody, but like this offense might get scarier than ever now that you have Bryce Young as your quarterback. Like he is technically the most talented of any of the quarterbacks that have run through there with dominant offense in the last few years. I mean, Bryce Young is a dude. Like he almost beat Mac Jones for the job as a true freshman. Like yeah. he's the real deal. And granted, you know, you're losing a lot of receivers, but they also are still going to have a lot of really good receivers. And I don't know if you've seen, but they signed what four or five of the top nine receivers in the country yeah. coming in. Yeah. Also, I could see the defense being, you know, 2019 was a rough year for the defense. 2020, they took a step forward, but it still wasn't quite great. I kind of could see, you know, like the defense actually kind of really hitting its form in year three under Pete Sweet. Golding, Sweet. a little more experience on the back end, stuff Great. like that. Awesome. I could totally see them being actually better on defense and now Bryce Young <sighs> doing scary things on offense. I, until proven otherwise, I'm not picking against Bam in the SEC period. Yeah, great. That's so fun. Uh, it's super fun. Um, yeah, why don't, what why if don't... I made my character that I am the guy who just 
doesn't realize that I'm not having like I just talk about Alabama being really good, like it's original. Like, guys, 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 hear me out. I think Alabama could be really good, and that's just my whole vibe. I mean, dude, you could copy paste. This is the stagnation I'm always trying to goad Alabama fans with and fuck with them with. Is like you could just copy paste how you talk about Alabama every year. If you just don't mention a name, then it doesn't really matter. Um, now, granted, you would have had a, this weird transition period where they went from kind of defense to offense. I mean, you might have to change a couple of things, but like, it is what it is. What's and, our favorite and, term? And, and, Benefit and, the doubt club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and then now, like, I mean, these coaches, it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe he went to Alabama and did well. <sighs> Shocking. Like, what? What are we talking about? Of course. If your players are just better than every other player, it's much easier to coach and have success. So it becomes really scary then when you have an actual really good coach like Bill O'Brien there. What a freaking shit show. Anyway, uh, so you lose to Alabama. Um, so right now, okay, if we're on our scorecards, uh, first two quarters, we're seeing 6-0. and 6-0, uh, and maybe 5-1 if things go awry. Oh, you could be, yeah. And then, uh, and then through this third quarter, I think it's either 2-1 and one or 1-2. One and two. Um, and then we get into the fourth quarter. You got Arkansas, ULM, and Texas A&M. Um, Arkansas was a darling this last year. I'm interested to see if Pittman can keep that momentum going. It took everything LSU had to beat Arkansas. Uh, that said, at home, like they should win that game. Yes. So, and by the way, I gotta throw out my the saddest but most real hypothetical is that LSU goes into Alabama eight no like number what, two or three in the country. Yeah. All the hype is like, wow, LSU at Ogeron turn everything around. And like, what a comeback after 2020. This is the best story in college football. And then, and then they get demolished by Bama and like A&M beats them by like 24 or 20. I don't know. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that hype was for nothing. It's a very real Well, you've seen it before. It became at the end. Of, it's kind of what damned less miles by the end. Yeah. That's actually a really good comp. It's 2018 LSU to some extent. Um, so anyway, I just had to say that because that's a really real thing that might happen. Yeah. Um, Arkansas is tricky, right? Because they obviously did so much last year that has you so encouraged and so promising. And I am really high on both Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom on offense and defense. You would assume in most ways they're also 39th in the returning production metric. So I think they're third best in the SEC right behind LSU. Like You know, in, you would assume in most ways – they should be even better this year. But I also have this weird theory. It's going to be that like year one, there was a little bit of that, like we're rallying around Sam Pittman, you know, like nobody believes in us just kind of like, you know, exceeding of expectation to it all. Even the, by the way, if you looked at any like analytic metric, Arkansas wasn't very good last year. They just won in the margin so much, which yeah. I know we talk about the time that is impressive, but like, you know what I mean? And there, I could totally see a scenario where, like, no fault of Sam Pittman or any of them, they do kind of come back to earth a little in year two when, like, that whole narrative part of it's gone. So, yeah, long way of saying, I, I still think Bryles and Odom are always going to make it tough. I think they're going to go back to at least being, like, the the BLMA era Arkansas where it's just going to be kind of a headache. Still, LSU should be, like, a 17-point favorite here. Yeah, so, okay, so LSU wins that. Obviously, they win ULM. We don't even spend any time there. Um, it sounds like you think that Texas A&M is going to be a top five team again next year. I don't know about five. I think they're, yeah, I would put them in like 10, right? I think that's I, like, they're bringing back a lot of the major pieces that matter. Like, you know, the core pieces that could be really good. I could totally see it being an improvement 
you know, uh, addition by subtraction thing with like moving on from, you know, Kellen Mond to going to Hayes King. I could totally see that like actually being better. Uh, I mean, we all know the thing with Kellen Mond where he's the definition of like, he's pretty solid, but actually limits you in a lot of ways. So yeah, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to be as good as 2020 and I'm not sure about that, but I don't think they're going anywhere. I think they're going to be really good again. And now you're like really deep into the Jimbo era now of like everything's his. So yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be really good. I would favor them in this game against LSU. So let's just call it a loss then uh, just for our mathematical purposes. So if we call A&M and Alabama a loss um, or, or really if, if, if you want to kind of, I would actually maybe frame it like this. You could say you lose to Alabama and then out of uh, Florida and A&M that you like lose to one of those, right? When I look at this schedule, um, I actually see a schedule that I think conservatively lines you up to go nine and three. Definitely. And if you go nine and three, you will be in a New Year's Six Bowl with a chance to win 10 games uh, and a New Year's Six Bowl. And I think you would have to win that 10 game. Like, I think there's a massive difference between 10 and three and Fiesta Bowl champions like you were a couple of years ago versus nine and four and you lost in the Fiesta Bowl. Big, 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 big difference. Um, but optimistically, not conservatively, like the schedule actually plays out pretty nicely where yeah. like 10 and two is a definite real possibility. And so if we're looking for expectations that you want to set so you know how to view this team next year, I don't think that's too high. Um, I, I, I think when you look at everything they have returning, the change that they made, and just really the expectation of coaching at LSU and the results that you're expected to hit, um, yeah, that nine and three, 10 and two range, uh, that is it right there. Yeah, I think nine and three is the mark where it's like, okay, Ogeron's okay. You know, yeah. you prove yeah. you prove that like you twenty twenty was a fluke. I think you you achieve a lot there. But ten and two is the expectation. Like, I mean that not the expectation, but the the goal, right? I, or maybe even the expectation. Like you should ten and two is where you need to be because if you don't go ten and two, that means you fell behind, you know quite frankly, you know, off your Auburn in Florida, that's a problem. Yeah. So, yeah. or even lost to UCLA or something. So yeah, I think the schedule maps very nicely in, in so many ways that, you know, your non-conference game is the least scary it's been in several years. You have, you know, an easy ramp up to get yourself informed before you get into the gauntlet. Your biggest foes are kind of in all, actually, I would say every single one of your biggest foes are in transition a little bit right now. Like there's no, reason for you not to win nine to 10 games. So yeah, it, it's a tough year because it sets up nicely, but it also takes away your excuses for losses. And normally you have some built-in excuses of like, yeah, you know, you're, you're going to lose that game. It's a tough game. You don't really have those this year. So it makes some losses look worse. You know, like if you lose to Auburn, say like, it's going to look bad. It's not just going to be like, well, it's Auburn, That's you know, fair, so. but, but the idea of acceptable losses already get thrown out the window with the five and five year last year. Right. So really, it's like yeah. no functional difference for LSU. Touche. Um, they 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 have to show. They just have to bounce back. And and look, this new schedule moving around, um, Ole Miss and Auburn and everything, and Mississippi State. Like, this is kind of looking like a pretty good year in year out setup for LSU here, in terms of how this ramps up to that really hard portion, and then even almost like tapers off a bit at the end now obviously and, and then and then i actually love having a big game at the very end in a and um because you always do put a little extra there's just something a little extra into those final games because you kind of know you're getting a break afterwards so from like a schedule theory standpoint i really like how this breaks down almost every year there's another additional quirks like you don't have back-to-back road games the one time you do old miss and alabama you have a bye week in between uh which is just an interesting little boost so favorable schedule 
for the Tigers, Brody Miller. And let's see if these favorable hires that we talked about, um, yeah, let's see if they can get it done, man. Uh, you have anything else today's show? No, no. Hour-long pod. I think we covered it all. Hour-long pod. This is the Hold That Podcast. Podcast again, theathletic.com slash Hold That Podcast. A great sign-up deals. Buy your meats at A-Bear Specialty Meats at the Bocage location here in Baton Rouge. And, um, yeah, look, if you like it, review it on iTunes. That definitely helps. And share it and everything else. And uh, we will see you next time on the Hold That Podcast podcast.